God is good. God is good. All of the time. Even when I might not think so. True? It is true. There's a passage of scripture I want to read with you. I'm going to be reading from English Standard Version. You're welcome to follow along in whatever you have. And I want to warn you in advance that I don't plan on dealing with this entire passage. Because if I did, we'd be here longer than you want to be here. And I'd probably be preaching to empty chairs and chairs that were occupied by other people. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And it is a list. I don't know about you, but I I have this love-hate relationship with lists. On the one hand, they're great organizational tools. On the other, they're frustrating reminders of what I haven't yet done. Well, here's one of the Apostle Paul's lists. 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning at verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Let's pray. Lord, as we get into your word together, I pray that I pray that the voice that is heard this morning would be your voice. I pray that I would not get in the way of what you want to say. And I pray that you would give all of us, especially me, ears to hear you thank you for your word and thank you for your spirit. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Her name was Sue and she showed up one day at church early in my first pastorate down in California. I hadn't met her before. Sat there seemingly reasonably absorbed in the service. And as we chatted a little bit after church, as I tried to get acquainted with her, discovered that she was a single mom. Her son was there with her. And she looked at me and she said, Pastor, I have one question for you. I thought, great, a new person, and only one question. This could be good. She said, what is your list of do's and don'ts? 
And I thought to myself, well, there's a loaded question if ever I heard one. Because I'm pretty sure that there was something she had in mind on that list of do's and don'ts that she was hoping either would or would not be there. No one had ever asked me the question quite that bluntly before. So I took the coward's way out, and I pointed to the Bible she was carrying, and I said, Sue, you've already got the list. If God's happy, we're happy. And I will admit it was a little bit of a cop-out answer. But to her credit, she hung around. And I would later discover some of the items that perhaps she had had in mind when she asked that first question, what is your list of do's and don'ts? Well, I want to focus on a list with you this morning, but not the whole list. It's a great list. It's a very practical list. In the context of that list, the Apostle Paul has been dealing in 1 Thessalonians 5 and the tail end of chapter 4 as well with the return of Christ, end times, and trusting that the information he is giving them will be to that church an encouragement. Now, I know it sometimes happens when Christians get together and talk about eschatology, last times, that there's this terrible temptation to focus on one question. When? Okay, when is Jesus coming? And of course, behind that question is a question, okay, how much time do I have in order to get my life together before he shows up? It's a little bit like Sue's question. I need your list of do's and don'ts. But that's not where the Apostle Paul goes. He ends that discussion with an encouragement to encourage. Verse 11 of chapter 5, Therefore encourage one another. Build one another up just as you are doing. And then starts into this list of stuff to do and stuff to be. And it's an intensely practical list. It really is. There's good stuff there. Stuff about relating to those who are our spiritual leaders. And relating to those within the family of God that just might not be fully engaged for one reason or another. He talks, for example, about admonishing the idle and encouraging the faint-hearted, helping the weak, and being at peace with everybody, patient with everybody. Later in the list, he talks about not quenching the spirit and testing what they hear and holding on to that which is good. And all of that's good stuff. And I don't have a problem with it. 
the problem I have and the problem I have had for most of my life with this particular list is right in its heart with three imperatives in verse 16, 17, and 18. Those imperative phrases are just seven words in the original Greek. And I sometimes have asked myself, how can seven words give me this much trouble? But there it is. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. And I think to myself, really? Come on, Paul. Do you know what kind of world I'm living in? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. They are, by the way, all... This is the grammar teacher in me coming out again. They're all present tense imperatives. And present tense imperatives in the Greek language carry the idea of continuing action. So they could just as easily be translated, keep on rejoicing always. And keep on praying unceasingly. And keep on giving thanks in all circumstances. And that's part of the frustration with the list because if we have to keep on, we never get to check it off. We never get to say, okay, this part's done. I don't have to worry about it anymore. It's still there. Well, let's look at the heart of that list again. That's the troublesome part for me. Maybe it is for you as well. Rejoice. Always. Keep on rejoicing. Always. You know, the Greek language, the uh, word rejoice, has the same root as the word joy and the same root as the word for grace. And when Scripture tells us to rejoice always, it could just as easily be telling us, take joy in God's grace. Take joy in God's grace. Why should that be so troubling? And it shouldn't be, should it? Shouldn't it be an easy thing for God's people to take joy in his grace? The trouble is, we, we live in this crazy world of filled with joy killers. And there are joy killers in your world? Sure there are. Uh, you've lived with them. Supposing I just toss out the word COVID. Boy, there's a couple of years worth of joy killers, right? 
most of you, I imagine, can think of someone close to you for whom the word COVID was a whole lot less than joy. In fact, I was, was looking over the calendar. Just about a year ago, I was supposed to be here preaching to you, filling in for Ryan. And I ended up in hospital with both a gastrointestinal bleed and COVID. It wasn't a joyful experience. I mean, I had some, some wonderful care, good people taking care of me, but I'm locked in this great hospital room where no one can come in unless they go through a whole routine of gowning and masking and washing and changing after they leave. My, my doctor, when he came to see me, would come up to the room, knock on the glass window, pick up the phone, and call me. And okay. I kind of felt like an Old Testament leper, you know, unclean. Not joyful. How can you rejoice in the midst of that? How can you rejoice in the midst of the unexpected? I'm sure your pastor and his family weren't expecting to be gone this weekend. Pastor Ryan wasn't expecting to play pastor to his family. It's a tough thing to do. I've, I've been there. Unexpected events. <laughs> Maybe more than they used to be for me. Maybe it's a sign of my stage of life. I don't know. But the unexpected isn't always joyful. Sometimes I tell people, you know, not every surprise is good. There are good surprises, but not all of them are. Losses. Losses. You lose something or you lose someone and you grieve. One of my extracurricular activities I volunteer with an organization that gives rides to seniors to medical appointments. Been doing it for a number of years. And I get to meet a lot of really neat people doing that. One of those people is a lady named Dorothy. I have driven her a few times to medical appointments. She's a believer. But I hadn't heard from Dorothy for about a year and a half. Uh, through most of the COVID adventure. And then her name showed up. 
and I gave her a call to set up the details of her ride and discovered that life has not been kind to Dorothy since I had last heard from her. She'd had orthopedic surgery for a broken bone. She lost a son to COVID. Her daughter, currently in hospital fighting cancer. And the ride that I tried to schedule with her actually didn't happen because she ended up in hospital herself and gave me a call from hospital and said, Malcolm, they found a, some kind of a mass in my lung. And they think it's a tumor. And she's dealing with the reality, probably, the likelihood of a diagnosis of lung cancer. Not yet confirmed, but probably will be next week. Do you know what Dorothy is doing this morning? I know what Dorothy is doing this morning because I asked her to do it, and she said she would. She is praying for you and for me. She's finding a way to deal with a whole host of joy killers. I look at Dorothy and I'm not sure I would call everything she is doing at the moment rejoicing. There's a lot of mourning going on as well. But she's dealing with it because she can rejoice in the grace that God gives. And so I guess can I, and so can you, but it's hard. And the question I ask myself is, okay, Malcolm, are you going to understand your circumstances the way God does? Or maybe a better way to say it is, are you going to understand God through the lens of your circumstances? Because that's the temptation. If I'm going through all of this rotten stuff, God must not be really interested. A lot of people come to that conclusion. God is still God. Am I going to understand him through the lens of my circumstances? Or am I going to understand my circumstances through the lens of God's grace? Because there are aspects of what are going on in Dorothy's life that she does not yet understand. There are aspects of stuff going on in my life that I don't yet understand. There are aspects of things going on in your lives that you don't yet understand either. But God does. 
And one thing that has not changed is the fact that he is gracious. Take joy in his grace and keep on doing it. That's the challenge of verse 16. Two Greek words. Ready for two more? Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Well, prayer is necessary. Communication is necessary for any kind of human relationship. We know that. Those of you who are married know what happens in your marital relationship if you stop communicating with each other. It doesn't get better. Communication is essential. It's been 40-plus years ago, I think, uh, since Norm Wright, who was at the time teaching at Talbot and Biola, published a little book that became highly popular called Communication, Key to Your Marriage. He could have called it Communication, Key to Your Life, because it really is. Communication. Staying in touch, listening and hearing. Yeah, I was blessed to be raised by godly Christian parents who dragged me to church from an early age. I was raised to be in church Sunday morning and Sunday evening. And I learned that prayer was a part of life. Sort of. I learned that it was a good thing to pray before meals. And I learned early on that it was a good thing to pray when I went to bed. A little later, I learned about Wednesday night prayer meeting. The church we were plugged into didn't have their own building, but the Wednesday night prayer meeting was held anyway in people's homes, various homes, and they'd get together and they would pray. And I thought, okay, you pray before meals, you pray when you go to bed, you pray on Wednesday nights. That's, that's a good thing to do. A little later as I was growing up, I learned about having a personal quiet time with the Lord. A time when I could listen to him in his word and talk to him in prayer. One-on-one. I thought, okay, I'm, I'm understanding prayer a little better now. You pray before meals. And you pray before bed. And you pray on Wednesday nights. And... You, you pray during your personal quiet time if you remember to have one. And I thought I was doing pretty good. And maybe in comparison to some other people I was, I don't know. But that falls so far short of what prayer really is. 
I am coming to discover it as a continual conversation with the Lord in the context of a growing relationship with him. My wife and I communicate, sort of. We do. Sometimes there are hurdles in our communication. And sometimes we can be going somewhere in the car, driving some distance, and we'll go for miles without either of us saying a word. But we're communicating. A lot of communication happens non-verbally. What about you and the Lord? And what about me and the Lord? Keep on praying unceasingly. Relationships require communication. My relationship with the Lord requires communication, all kinds of communication. Just as my communication, my conversations with Valerie sometimes include telling her how wonderful she is. In my conversations with God, I'd call that praise. Affirmation. Sometimes I tell her that I appreciate her. I find ways to do that. I say thank you to her. Because there are all kinds of things she does for me that a lot of them I'm not even aware of most of the time. But she does them because she loves me. So does the Lord. An occasional thank you is a good thing. My communication with Valerie sometimes involves admitting that I'm wrong. Not often, mind you, but... (laughs) We have to do that, don't we? We are human. We are still sinners. (laughs) Your communication with the Lord needs to include that as well. Sometimes my conversations with Valerie include asking her for stuff. I'm sitting there comfortably, and she's in the kitchen. Could you bring me a glass of water? And she does. Sometimes my conversations with the Lord involve asking as well. Lord, there's, there's this I need. And I take that need to him. Hopefully, my communication with Valerie includes an ability and a recognition of my need to simply let her know the real me. We all tend to wear masks, don't we? We hide behind this false front. But there are some people with whom we can be real. And I'm real with Valerie, and she's real with me, I think. 
And you might as well be real with God because he knows anyway. And sometimes my conversations involve interceding for other people, bringing the needs of other people before the Lord. All of that is part of an ongoing conversation with the Lord. You don't get to just say amen and be done with it. Keep on praying unceasingly. Don't get to check that one off yet either. And the third one, give thanks in all circumstances. Thanksgiving this week, isn't it? We get to celebrate Thanksgiving twice because Valerie's Canadian. So we celebrated Thanksgiving last month as well. We did not have a turkey dinner, but we had a miniature turkey dinner. It was just the two of us, and it's kind of stupid to have a turkey for two people. So we had a mini turkey. We got a Cornish game hen. Hey, it, it looks like a turkey. And, you know, if you take a picture and there's nothing to measure it against, it'll fool people. You can tell them I had a great, great dinner. Turkey dinner. Well, almost a turkey dinner. It's okay, I'm not that crazy about turkey. But Valerie likes it. We'll celebrate again this week. But we ought to be celebrating Thanksgiving every day. Give thanks in all circumstances except, well, I I used to depend on the preposition in this phrase, in. And I would tell myself what is true. It says give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. Right? Wrong. Because Ephesians 5.20 is still in the book as well. And you know what that says? It says the same thing with a different preposition. It uses a Greek preposition that is usually translated for or over. Give thanks and include all of your circumstances. It just got tougher, didn't it? In, I can handle. Four is a bigger challenge because there are just as many thanks killers as there are joy killers around. But pondering those prepositions has focused me on on some lessons I need to remember. You know, sorting out what is good and worth being thankful for from what is not good and not worth being thankful for is probably a waste of effort. particularly if I'm supposed to be thankful for it all. And I need to not confuse what 
what God has given with what I have chosen. Because the sad fact of the matter is some of the stuff that would be hard for me to be thankful for is my own stupid fault. It's the result of my choices, not the result of God gifting me with pain. However, having said that, God doesn't waste anything. Absolutely nothing. There is nothing that will come into your life or my life, be it by his design or by our choice, nothing that God will waste. And he graciously is able to take every aspect of our lives and turn it to be used for his glory and his purposes. He'll do that with me if I let him. But that can be a big if. And one of the ways of getting beyond that if is to keep on giving thanks in all circumstances. And I need to reject a a sense of entitlement. You know, sometimes I think that I belong to Jesus. I deserve to be blessed. What hogwash. I belong to Jesus and he chooses to bless me. I don't deserve anything. I'm the reason he hung on a cross. Give thanks. Keep on giving thanks in all circumstances. You ever start thinking maybe there's just too much belly aching going on from believers? It, it does happen because feeding that habit of ongoing gratitude sometimes gets hard. Circumstances change. An attitude of gratitude shouldn't. I'm reminded of the example of Corey Ten Boom, who in her autobiographical book, The Hiding Place, relates being in a concentration camp during World War II with her sister and being moved into a barracks in that concentration camp where the straw mattresses were full of fleas and hearing her sister Betsy Thank God for the fleas. Never in my life have I thanked God for a flea. And Corey 
wonders at how her sister can do that. To thank God for the fleas. But you know what? Those fleas, God used for his purpose. Later, they discovered it was the fleas that had kept the guards out of that barracks and given them the freedom to get together for prayer and for Bible study. You don't know what God is doing with the fleas in your life. Keep on giving thanks in all circumstances because God wastes nothing. Well, I told you, what makes this list troublesome for me is the fact that they're all present tense imperatives. There's not a one of those items I get to check off and say, you're done, Malcolm. I'm not done. I'm still here. And I am just as challenged today to keep on rejoicing and to keep on praying in all circumstances unceasingly and to keep on giving thanks no matter what. But how do I do it? I want to just share with you what I didn't read. And that is the Apostle Paul's benediction at the end of this chapter. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. The God of peace sanctify you completely. Set you apart for him. Spirit, soul, body, every part of you. Kept blameless. Because Jesus is coming. Can God do that? He who called you is faithful. And the book says, he will do it. By the grace of God, let's let him. Lord, help us do so for your glory and for our good. Help us to keep on rejoicing always and to keep on praying unceasingly and to keep on giving thanks in all circumstances. Thank you for making it possible in Jesus' name. Amen.